Open your Bibles this morning to Isaiah chapter 59, if you will. The last few weeks, maybe a few months, maybe the last year, it seems like the devil has been hammering a lot of people. Or maybe an unusual amount of activity amongst people you know. I get phone calls. I got one this week from another part of the country. Uh, somebody that I knew well had gone on to be with the Lord, much too young to do that. Better place now, of course, and all of that. Been through a lot of struggles. Another call about this difficult, serious thing going on. I'm aware of my friends and folks here that have been going through some battles and ones we know about, the ones we don't know about. And it seemed like the devil comes in like a gang to see how much he can just wear people out. I was reminded of this verse and thinking about all of this. I thought about the content of this verse, and I want to use it again in Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 19. The last part of that verse, it says, When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord stands by to see how strong his people can be. Now, wait a minute. Sometimes, sometimes it seems like God isn't really that interested in what's going on. Don't you hear people say, if you're talking to people about that, well, where's God? Well, how come God lets this happen? Why doesn't he do something? As though God has made no provision for our circumstances or worse, that he doesn't even care. You know, God puts you on this earth. Now he folds his arms to see how tough you are, how strong you are, how long you'll last. Some people think like that. That we're down here in a war, a struggle, and we need his help, but he doesn't seem to be too willing to help. But let me correct that. He said, when the enemy comes in like a flood. Now here's what God said he does. The Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Now you may not know what it is. You may not seek to find out what that is. But it's offered and it's there. Let me tell you something, folks. The devil wins far too many battles. We're warned and we're told over and over again in the Bible. It needs to be taught. It needs to be understood that in this world, you will have tribulation. There is an unseen force. It's called the devil and all of his agents that hate you. Their desire, their goal is to kill, to steal, and to destroy, to rob you of your peace and your joy to rob you of your comforts, to rob you of, uh, of all the things you've worked so hard to get, to snuff your life out way before your time. That's what he does. And he wants to do that. But the Bible says God has an antidote for that. There is something we have offered to us that is against that. And if God gives us something against adversity, then adversity is not designed to win. We are. We're the ones who are called to be more than conquerors through Christ. Again, Christians may not realize that. They may have forgotten that. Or they may have in their despair set that aside and lost touch with what God offers. All they can see is me, my problems right now. Why? And yet God doesn't give us such a hopeless outlook in life at all the problems that we have. He raises up something and gives it to us and said, this is how you fight. With this, you will war. But think of it. When the enemy comes in like a flood, and I know you've heard this before, but I've seen on newsreels and the pictures and the film clips of where there have been floods. And that's awful. I mean, the, the water and the, the sewage that comes up in houses when the cities are flooded. 
like down in New Orleans, back in the, in, in the Hurricane Katrina. And when the rivers rise and the great 10 inches of rain comes and everything is in havoc. And you see people come back to their house, which had been a five feet of water in the house, and it's just ruined. All your pictures, all your photographs, all your memories, all the antiques, everything that you worked so hard to get that you loved and enjoyed and liked and brought you pleasure, it's gone. They're ruined. They're no good. They just scrape it out in the yard and some kind of a loader picks it up, hauls it away, and it's gone. And sometimes they interview people. Sometimes the people are just despair. They're brokenhearted. They're downtrodden. Well, they've lost everything. The natural mind says, well, why wouldn't they be? They have reason to be in despair and brokenhearted and downtrodden. They just lost everything. Wouldn't you be downtrodden and brokenhearted? Well, I hope not. I wouldn't like it. I certainly wouldn't say, oh, boy, my house is flooded. I lost everything. That's not what I wouldn't do that. But I would like to think after 40 years of Christianity, I've got something that can do better than that. Hating the loss. I like to think that, you know, it's only stuff in this world. This flood didn't affect my salvation. It has not touched my soul. It has touched my mind and my heart and all the affections of this life, but it didn't reach down where I am. I hate it, but it's not the end of my life. And as long as I'm alive, as long as I'm breathing, there's hope. I am not without help and I'm not without hope if I'm alive and breathing, and especially if I'm a Christian. Floods are just awful. They're terrible. Well, people say, well, why do these floods come? It's a good question, isn't it? Why do floods come? Why do we have to engage such a hardship in this life? Like ruin, ruination, whether it's disease or uh, the breakup of a marriage, a, a rebellious child, a, a lawsuit, loss of a money or something, and, and seem like everything that was so important just devastates you. Why does that happen? Well, I can give you a couple of reasons just from the Bible this morning. Look at verse 11. said, we all roar like bears and mourn sore like doves. We look for justice, but there isn't any. And for salvation, but it's far from us. That's the way people think. And that's the way people roar. And that's the way people moan. You can't hardly talk to them without wanting to cry with them. They've lost everything. Well, verse 12, why? Well, here's a good one. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord, and departing away from God, speaking oppression and revolt. That might be nothing more than that running at mouth. Good morning, church. It might be nothing more than running that mouth. Gossip. Yakking about everything different than what you've been taught. Well, I'm just bringing it up. Speaking oppression and revolt. Conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. This is not fair. God's not. And justice is turned away backwards. And, and justice standeth far off. And truth is fallen in the street. And equity cannot enter in. Yea, truth faileth. You've heard the truth. You said you believed the truth. And then you turn away from the truth. And give way to mourning, moaning, iniquity, transgression, revolt, lying and complaining and bitterness. Happens all the time. But the thing, the reason that doors are open to this kind of thing is because of sin. And yet, let me tell you something as a preacher. When you begin to point out people's sins and the way you're living that it's not right the things you're doing is not right and the things you're not heeding is not right and then pressure and trouble comes they get mad at you for saying it well who does he think he is talking to us like that talking at us like we're listen sin is sin 
transgression is transgression. Iniquity is iniquity. There's three different words there for sin. I mean, some has to do with you and how you view yourself, how you view God, and how you view His Word. You begin to take liberties with what you've been hearing, with what you hear. Or you think, well, there's nothing wrong with a few drinks. Or, you know, we're going to get married anyway, so why not? And you start taking liberties with everything that God says he must judge. Sin. And so we give way to these things that are called sin or self-serving iniquity. And then we want to go to church and expect God to deliver us and help us when we're not even trying to live right. It's sin and rebellion. See, I didn't blame you all for it. I said that's a cause of why people have these floods. It's not the only cause, but it can happen. Do you believe God can bring judgment on sin? We hardly ever, Christians hardly ever want to admit that because, well, that would make us harsh and rude. So we do everything we can in the church as the spirit of this world would do to be nice and kind and, you know, well, after all, I don't think... And yet you come to the Lord and he says, the problem is sin. The problem is iniquity. Our attitude towards God and how we live and conduct our affairs, they're in opposition to God even though we know better. That's what he said down in verse 12, the end of verse 12. We know what we're doing. Our conscience tells us. Our conscience says you shouldn't do that. That's not a good thing to say. And we say it anyway. Because we think that, you know, after all, God knows I'm just a human and I can't really help it. And I'm, I mean, nobody's perfect. Come on. And we fail to see that God holds plumb line. He holds a straight and narrow way right in front of you. The very thing that you criticize preachers for doing, that's what he holds in front of you. He said, this is the way. Now you walk this way. Now he that knows to walk this way but doesn't want to walk this way, to him it is sin. Sin opens a door to judgment and difficulty, which prayer doesn't always get you out of. I don't think we're that much different. People don't like to hear that. Some would say, well, I didn't go to church to hear that. Well, that's a good thing for you to hear if it applies to you because you need to get things right. Or another reason that you have trouble and floods come and difficulty comes, hardships come in your life, is because you're being tested. Being tested? Yeah, being tested. Remember that time, I'm sure you all remember about Peter, Jesus talking to Peter. He said, Peter, the devil has desired you that he might what? And the sifting times in this life, as a Christian, you've done nothing wrong and you're being sifted. You can't say, well, why am I going through all this? I haven't done anything wrong. Hey, Jesus was tempted in all points like we are, but not because of sin. He was being proven to be an acceptable sacrifice for our sins. And he passed his test. He did not complain. He did not murmur. He did not open his mouth against this stuff. He just quietly endured, went through all of this, and presented himself without spot to God. A suitable sacrifice for man's sin, and he offered himself as such, and God accepted it. So here we are. We're going through things, too. We've been given a lot of information through the years. Lots of promises. Lots of things that God expects out of us. We say we believe it. Hundreds have come and gone. Oh, I believe all of that. And yet, when you get to prove by the choices you make that you believe that, oh, I don't know about all that. I can't. And we turn away. And then the enemy comes in like a flood. And the bitterness comes in. Well, I don't know about that message. I don't know about all that teaching. I'll tell you one thing, blah, 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 blah. But folks, just remember... The devil is a master deceiver, a master manipulator of man's minds, especially during moments of difficulty. Either you are a victim and it's not your fault or it's somebody else's fault. And he begins to tell you all kinds of things 
The Bible calls his devices. Remember the Bible says that we are not to be ignorant of his devices. Devices are schemes. His demonic plan to place in your mind as a different way of looking at God and his way. And he's not as loving and kind and generous as you heard he was. These are called wiles of the devil. This is the same one who goes about like a roaring lion. Seeking whom he can devour. This is the one who the Bible said beguiled Eve through his subtlety. Paul said, I pray that your minds will not be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The way Eve's was because the devil beguiled her. Misled her. Gave her misinformation that seemed so practical. He said, hath God said Do you really believe that you will die if you eat of the fruit? Then this. What kind of God do you serve? You got a killer God. (laughs) You really think that's the kind of God you're serving? Where's the love in all of this? And he gets you distracted, takes you away from the word, gets you into your realm of self instead of the spirit. And you don't know how to answer that. And then the next thing you know, you're blaming God. God's your problem. Church is probably your problem. The preaching you've been hearing is part of your problem. You need to find something else. Do something else. Go have some fun. This is what the devil does, and this is how he misleads us. He goes about, the Bible said, like a roaring lion, seeking where he can do another flood. He would love to ruin your life. Maybe get you too busy. You don't have time for church anymore. Maybe gets you to find in your peace and relief from pressure in a bottle. Maybe he can get you to power down and leave his stuff alone for a while. Maybe you'll find something that you're not finding. And all of that is part of that subtle stuff of him so he can arrange to have brought into your life a flood. Remember the Bible said, don't give place to the devil? What do you think the devil's going to do when you give place to him? He's going to take advantage of it. He's going to slide right into your life, become a part of you. He's going to begin to reorient you, redirect you, get you thinking more about the world as pleasures, just opportunities. While you're young, you better get them while you're young. Don't wait till you're old. You can't get them then. Anything to turn you away from God. Anything to make you question what the Bible says or what you've been hearing. Well, now, come on. Talk like that. Be practical. Be cool, as they say. I mean, don't, don't get so serious about all. I mean, after all, God knows, you, you know, and they start talking that way. God raises up a standard. You know why he raises up a standard for you? Right now, while I'm talking, and the difficulties that you're facing, others out there are facing, some in here are facing. You know why God raises up a standard and offers that standard to you? Because he cares for you. God is not going to come down and sweep away all your problems. Zoom. You learn nothing when he does that. When these problems come, when these floods come... God's going to offer you a way of relief and deliverance because the Bible says he cares for you. The psalmist said, when I cry unto thee, then shall my enemies turn back. This I know for God is with me. If you're a Christian, there is never a time that God is not with you. You may not sense it. You may not feel it. You may not think that God is with you in light of your circumstances. But he is. And he's there to help. You call upon his name, you'll realize he's there. But he's going to let things happen for a while. We're going to prove ourselves. Listen to this verse. The Lord is on my side, Psalm 118.6. The Lord is on my side. That means I win. Because the last 
page of this book back here at the end of Revelation. It says, whoever's on the Lord's side wins. It doesn't really say that. We win. He wants us to overcome. He wants us to show that by the choices I'm going to make, that I'm going to believe that what God said is true, even though there's no evidence of that truth. I sense none of that truth being present in it, but I'm going to believe that it is. I'm going to believe that God is going to do what he said. Because you see, what God said is that he always causes us to triumph in Christ. Everybody in this room, all of you, whoever you are outside of the room, wherever they are, the Bible said he always, in 2 Corinthians 2.14, he always causes us to triumph. Well, after all, what? hush. He's going to cause you to win. He's going to cause you to triumph. Thanks be to God. 1 Corinthians 15 said, thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Does it say he gives it? You have to do your part, but it's God who gives it. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he that started a good work in you is going to finish it. It may not look good right now. Your circumstances may not point to anything positive, but let me tell you something. If God is for you, you have a positive thing to lean on. God will take care of you. I don't care how bad the rain falls, the floods come. How bad the boiling of this world is. Greater is he that is in you this morning than he that is in the world. God made a choice of you being his child. You. And do not think that at any time God is going to make you a sacrifice to the devil. But you will have to take him at his word. He did say, this is how you walk. This is how you live. These are the choices you have to make. You do have to overcome. You can't sit back and quote the Bible. You have to do your part. And God will never leave you nor forsake you whenever you do. Now, God has made provisions. The title of our message this morning is God's provision for our deliverance. That's our title. God's provision for our deliverance. Now, what are these provisions? Well, one is intercession. Did you go back to Isaiah 59? Intercession. Interceders. Those who intercede. One who pleads another's cause. One who stands with another on their behalf before God. It's like somebody coming to you, putting their arm around you and said, I'm going to stay with you in this. I'm going to stand with you before God. An intercessor. One who prays for another one because they care about another one. Not just mentioning in prayer and going on, but an intercessor uses one who labors at this. Throughout the day, maybe not once or twice a week, but you'll find many times during the day, I know I find myself, I'm not the standard for anybody else, but I find myself in cases that I know of uh, throughout the day, they come up and I pray for them. Now, I don't pray for the same thing twice. I try not to. But I mentioned to God that I have prayed for their healing, their deliverance, their restoration, their recovery, their strength, and so forth. So I'm just asking that God, whatever you need to do today to bring that about or now do that. And when I run out of things to say in the natural, I pray in tongues. If you're a visitor here today, I speak in tongues. So I do that because I can. The Bible said we don't know how to pray as we should, but we can pray in the Spirit. Spirit knows, so we pray that way. That's an advantage that God has given us. We don't use it. Churches are full of charismatics who never go that way. But it's part of your weaponry. It's how we fight. Praying always with all spirit and supplication in the spirit for all saints in Ephesians 6. 
We don't always do that, but all of you in here have friends. Somebody's your friend. Somebody knows you better than just a casual knowledge. They know what you're going through, and they're concerned about it. They don't want you to suffer. They don't want you to go through, you know, this or that too much or whatever. So they find themselves going before God and say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to pray for, and then they, Brother Hamilton, or Brother whoever. I was just asking, and then you go start praying whatever is in your heart to pray, whatever is on your heart. How you feel about that person. Intercessor. That's what an intercessor does. Now, in verse 16 of Isaiah 59, after he said these things and from verse 12 through 15, he comes to 16, and he saw that there was no man. And he wondered. And he wondered or was astonished that there was no intercessor. This is what God said. In light of the current situation, now I'm talking about the picture here in the Bible. In light of the current situation with the sin, the sinfulness, the transgression, the indifference to God, those who knew better disregard. God said, I'm astonished that there is no intercessor. Does anybody care? Is anybody troubled? Is anybody brought to their knees? This is your brother. These are your brethren. This is your sister or your sistren. <laughs> I guess you'd say a plural form of sister. Anyway, these are your friends, your brothers and sisters in Christ. They're going through a battle. They might be struggling. Some of their nights are long, dark nights, and the picture the devil's given them is not good. They need somebody to help with them. God is listening. Heaven's ears are open. Who will come on their behalf to stand before God and pray for them and plead with God? Intercede to bring a prayer. Oh God, in the name of Jesus, I declare illegal and unlawful the work of the devil against this man. If Jesus died to heal our sins, then this man's sins were healed and the devil has no right to put back on him what you laid on Jesus for my behalf. We're free and this is not fair. This is not right. And in the name of Jesus, I stand against... You just pray. You don't have to pray what I just pray. You pray it in your own way. You pray. You intercede. And the Bible said he wondered that there was no intercessor. I'm going to think of another place that we use to talk about this a lot. Ezekiel chapter 22. Remember that one? The whole chapter 22 describes the degradation in the nation of Israel. How bad people were. Now, the vulgar, nasty, ornery things that they did in the priesthood. The preachers, they made no distinction between the clean and the unclean, the right and the wrong. Like today, well, you know, we don't talk about sin. People don't like sin. We talk about positive things. We want everybody to feel good. It's just like it's nothing different today, not any different today than it was in the time of Ezekiel. In 22, again, he said the people made no distinction between the clean and the unclean. What is right and what is wrong? They were all after money, devouring widows' houses for gain. Nothing is different. It's the same devil. Different cultures, but the same devil, same work. Corruption. And if you can put the people to sleep, he'll corrupt the whole bunch of them. And when you begin telling that whole bunch the truth, they all gnash their teeth at you like dogs. Because they love their sin more than they love deliverance. So, he said in Ezekiel 22, he said, I sought for a man amongst them. Surely, in a nation of people, there is somebody out there who is going to plead the case before God. Oh, God, do something. Lord, don't let us die like this. Lord, but you know what the Bible said? 
He said, I sought for a man in Shelbyville Christian Assembly to stand before me for the land, and I couldn't find one. Now, he didn't say Shelbyville Christian Assembly because in the Bible there was no Shelbyville Christian Assembly. I want you to understand that. I don't want to add anything to the Bible. But there was no man. Everybody was so busy with their own life and their own problems. Well, I can't help, you know. Well, I would pray, but I've, you know, I've got my own family to pray for. Really? There's only 24 hours a day. Yes, there is. I guess what's most important to us, what's most meaningful to us, what's most pressing on us, is what we're going to give in to. I would love to think this morning that there are people here who would be willing to labor in prayer if called upon to do it. Would labor in prayer. Somebody would. But wouldn't it be nice if a lot of people just said, I am determined to stay before God until your deliverance comes? Bombarding heaven with those little gospel bullets, as we used to say. Would you turn to Psalms 118 and verse 7? And once you look at this, the Lord taketh my part with them that help. Now, wait a minute. The Lord taketh my part with regard to me. The Lord begins to take my part. I don't know how else to say that. He gets involved in my part with what I'm going through. With whom? With those that help me. Let's call it intercession. Is intercession helping another? It is. And then the next word he uses is, therefore. As a result of those who are willing to go before you, God says that I will make your situation a matter of my presence. Therefore, I shall see my desire upon them that hate me. Let's say it like this. Therefore, I shall see my deliverance come from him who is trying to destroy me. Why? What will cause your enemy to flee here? What causes the change to happen here? People helping you. Isn't that right? Somebody is coming before God, praying for you. God responds to you. I think that happened when Peter was in prison in Acts 12. And the church interceded for him. Remember, they had a prayer meeting. They were praying for him. And the Lord caused, by several things that happened, caused Peter to come out by a miracle. Two or three of them. Because people were praying. The church was praying for him. They didn't stop praying for him when he knocked on the door. They didn't know who he was. But they were praying. This is what intercession does. This is what an intercessor does. Look at Psalm 142. You're close to it. Go back to the end of the Psalms. Psalms 142. And look at verse 7. Bring my soul out of prison. That's where a lot of people are when the flood comes. Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. Notice, the righteous shall compass me about. For thou shalt deal bountifully with me. What will the righteous do? They will compass you or encircle you. They will come to your aid or your assistance. They care about you. We want you to be free. We're going to stand with you and pray. This is the standard that God raises up. His inspiration into those who will do this. He urges you to pray. And when you pray, He says, Okay, now I will come to their behalf. I will come to their rescue. He said, bring my soul out of prison, God. I'm captured. I'm bound to something here. I want to get free from it in Jesus' name. And he said, the righteous shall compass me. They shall circle me. It's like holding hands and we're going to pray for you, brother. We're going to pray for you, sister, for your deliverance. We want you well, giving testimonies, parking in my parking spot. We want you real and alive and everything out there. 
intercession. What a mother would do for her daughter or for her son. Remember that Canaanite woman who came before Jesus said, Have mercy on my daughter. She's grievously vexed with a demon. And Jesus sort of ignored her. He said, I did not come but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He mentioned children's bread is not belonging to the world, but belonging to God's people. And she pleaded a cause. She said, that might be true, but you know, I don't want the whole loaf. I just want a crumb. They don't want all the crumbs. I'll, give me the crumb. Well, a little crumb of what you got will heal my daughter. And she pleaded a cause, her case. She didn't say, he was rude to me. He told me I was a dog and I'm going home. She didn't do that, did she? Christians do that. But I try so hard and I've been giving, I've been attending church and I try to sing and raise my hand at least this high. Everything's going wrong for me. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hang in there. I know you're desperate. I know you feel bad. I know things aren't going well for you right now. You're not sure how to solve your problem. Hang in there. You probably got somebody praying for you. I learned early this year that one of my ancestors was a Baptist preacher. I was glad. Now, I'm not a Baptist. I'm not any of that. But I had a preacher in my tree. There's a preacher in my tree. Not a priest, a preacher. And I believe that preacher was in there hanging on to a branch saying, I got one. Give me another one, Lord. Send one in my tree. Down the road. Give me another preacher. (laughs) Praise God. Thank you. I made that up. I hope it's true. I'd like for that to be true. I pray for preachers in my family too. I like to pray for preachers in your families. I wish we were all preachers. Then they'd be mad all the time because they didn't get to preach every time there was a chance. But she stood firm, the lady did. There's a reason God wants us to pray. Listen to this. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. This is the power of prayer. This is what prayer will do. If my people that are called by my name, are you? Verse 14, if my people, who are his people? I'm one of them. I said, I'm one of them. Not by choice. I didn't choose him. He chose me. And now I choose him. I didn't choose God. He chose me for a reason. I don't know why, but he did. He brought me to himself to do a renewal work, a changing work in my life, little by little, every day, to do a work. And this is addressed to his people. He said, if my people who are called by my name, Christians, Christ-like ones, if they will do four things, God will respond with three things. Notice what we do. First thing we do is humble ourselves. We humble ourselves. And what else? We pray. Pray is talking to God. It's bringing your petitions, your supplications, your needs, whatever it is on your heart, you bring it to God. He's the source for your answers. What's the next thing he said? And seek his face. That's why you're here. I hope part of it. I want to know more. I want to learn about him. I want to hear more about him. I want to incline my heart to him, or as Job says, I want to acquaint myself with him. I don't want to take for granted what I heard 20 years ago, and now my arms have been folded for 20 stinking years. I want to be actively seeking after God, enjoying what I'm hearing, knowing there's a challenge, but I want to do it. I want to be what he wants me to be. What's the fourth thing? And turn. 
Quit doing all the stuff that God must judge. Quit doing what causes the floods to come. Quit it. Nobody can quit it for you. You've got to quit it yourself. And what did God say he would do? If you would do four things. Four things you can do. Four things you're able to do. Four simple things that every one of us can do. If you will do that, first thing he said he will do is that he will hear. And then he would forgive. forgive. And what's the third thing? Heal. If I ask you this morning, how many of you would desire a healing to be affected in your body somewhere? Maybe it's a little thing. I mean, you'd say, I, I, I would like for that to happen. Do you realize that there is a way it can happen? It doesn't involve, in this case, other people praying for you. It involves a quality decision on your part to do four things and expect and believe that God will do three things. He will hear. And you have to repent and turn away from your sins and he'll forgive. You've got to have a clean slate before God. He'll forgive and he will heal. Yeah, but this is a pretty serious illness. I don't care what it is. I don't care how bad it is. The worst thing an illness can do is kill you, and God raised you from the dead. He did that in the Bible, so he went past illness. So whatever bad a disease is, God went beyond that when he raised Lazarus from the dead. So we know that he's bigger than illness. You do four things, and he'll do three. Well, that's the power of prayer. Think about intercession, doing that for somebody else. You keeping your life clean, you going before God and praying for somebody else. God will hear what they're saying. God will forgive them and God will heal them. What about in Psalm 91, 15? He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and I will honor him. How about that? He shall call upon me and I'll do four things. Things we all want. Things which... If it were happening to us, we'd be so liberated, we'd be just, woo! We'd be full of joy. We would. What about James chapter 5 about the power of prayer? He said, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man has much power or availeth much. Think of it. A person who relates to God is serious about his relationship to God. Takes God at his word as best he knows how. Wants to live right, do right, think right, be right, love right, believe right. His life is all about getting it right. The Bible said that kind of man, when he comes before God to pray, he's learned how to pray. He's learned what to pray. And when he prays, it has much effect with God. I want you to pray for me. That's the kind of person I want praying for me, wouldn't you? I mean, you can do that. And you can, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul. You can pray that if you want to. That's not my prayer. Well, my poor daddy's food prayer, bless the soul that gets about the Christ of the men, that's about it. You know, we used to eat after, after he'd say that. When my dad's turn to pray, bless the Lord that gets about the Christ of the men, amen. You start eating. What did he say? didn't matter. He said, Bless us, O Lord, and these are gifts which we are about to receive from thy bounty through Christ our Lord. Amen. My little prayer was, Thank you for the words we thank you for the food we thank you for the words we thank God for everything. Amen. And we ate. My mother didn't stop and say, Slow down, Tommy, and say that again. No, there was nothing in that that had any meaning, sincerity at all. It was just a form, a ritual, a routine at the dinner table. That's not what intercessor prayer. Okay, Lord, I pray tonight for Bill. I pray for Jim. I pray for Joe and pray for Susie. Pray for this and pray for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, turn on the tube. Intercession is getting after it. Let me tell you something else. Another standard that God raises up. This one's probably new. This provision. You probably hadn't thought of this one. The provision of faith. Did you know that God can quicken your faith? Remember the night that Paul was shipwrecked in Acts 27? And he said, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. 
God quickens that word to you. And your thoughts, meditating, reading, driving down the road, thinking of somebody's needs, he quickens a verse to you. He quickens his word to you. That's the work of God. This is what you pray according to. This is what is going to inspire you. This is what God does to cause a word to become alive. It's like a two-edged sword. You're prompted by the Spirit who raises the standard, of course. And God gives to you what you have hidden in your heart. And that's the word he's going to use when you pray and intercede for other people. And when you stand for other people, you believe. I'm taking you at your word, Lord. Jesus said to Peter, he said, Peter, he said, the devil has desired you that he might sift you as wheat. But, Peter, I have prayed for you. That's intercession. I have prayed for you what? That your faith fail not. You see, God, who could just deliver you and rescue you, he doesn't. You've got to use your faith. You can't please God without faith. There's nothing else you can do that registers pleasantries with God outside of your faith. God wants you to believe him. Whoever comes to God must believe that he is. When you pray, what things ever you desire when you pray, believe. Whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall Believe those things he says shall come to pass. He'll have what he says. There is not a finer provision, a personal exercise on your behalf. There's nothing finer or stronger that you can use than faith. The victory that overcomes the world. That overcomes all the sum total of the world's power. The victory, the nekao, the overcoming principle Beyond all of that is your faith. That's what gets you over all of that. That's the way it works. It's your faith. It's you coming before God, maybe with just, say, Lord, you have said in your word. You have said in your word that your word is medicine to my flesh. Where does it say that? Proverbs 4. Well, let me quote it for you. Verse 20. If you will incline your heart and your ear to what he has said, you hide all these words in your heart. He said, in effect, in Proverbs 4, I won't quote it, I'll just tell you. He said in Proverbs 4, his word will be health to those that find it. And a good reason to seek. Because if you find it, you found something that you need. His word will become health and healing to your flesh. Many times in my life, not only for myself, but when my children were young, they'd be coughing or sneezing or something or not looking good or looking half alive, and you'd bring them and set them down on your lap. And I would say, Lord, I'm going to give this child a dose of medicine. You said in Psalm 107, verse 20, you sent your word and healed them. Now, I want to make application of your word to this child. Now, you said in Exodus 15, you're the Lord that heals. Therefore, I'm taking you as my healer. You had said in Deuteronomy 7 that you would remove all sickness from the midst of us. Now, this has to go because this is in the midst of us. Then you go to Proverbs again. Decline your ear to my saying. Let them not depart from your mouth. Keep my word in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. Lord, this is what this child needs. In the name of Jesus, I make application of this word. And go from there on over to Psalms 103, that he heals all your diseases, forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases. Lord, this then you're the healer. You're my healer. It's not a routine. This is what I believe. And it worked for all of them. All of them. There was never a time it didn't work. It always worked. Have you ever laid hands on yourself? The Bible said you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. You ever laid hands on yourself? Well, you could. 
Well, how can you believe that? I am so simple-minded that I'm all just a verge of having to be locked up. I'm so simple. I take God's Word as a child would take a father's Word. Well, you're taking it out of context. Leave me alone because it worked. It worked. And just very simply lay hands on your children. Lay hands on your furniture. How about laying hands on your house? I walked around a farm once laying hands on the fence. Every post at every corner. Pronouncing that everything in the boundary of this fence, these fences, is cleared and clean from any work, activity, or, or anything the devil ever did, any curse ever leveled on this land, any uncertain thing, death, dying, or stealing ever took place. I break its curse. I'm sure if somebody had seen me walking out there in the country, touching fence posts and, and talking out loud, my hands up half the time, I'm sure they would have called somebody. <laughs> see, country folks are like church folks. When they see something, they just start yakking. Well, I wonder who that is. Well, I wonder why they bought that. Well, who is that over there? Well, what are they doing back there in the back? Well, they're, they're doing something. Well, they keep. Who was that? Who was that? That's country. That's country. They drive by the road and roll the window down a little. Church folks is the same way. Church folks is the same way. I tell you what, somebody could have a headache in this room and people in another state would know it after church. <clears throat> I remember there was a song growing up, a heathen song, but one of the phrases in the song was, yaggity yak, don't talk back. <laughs> I'll leave the don't talk back out and yakity yak. We're given to heaven to tell everything we hear and everything we know. But that's not good, but that's your choice. You do that, that's between you and the Lord. Let me close this thing about faith by saying, turn to Second Thessalonians 3. Jesus said to the woman with the issue of blood, If thou canst believe, he said, only believe. He said to Mark 9, he said, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to whom? Those who believe. I'd like to think that after 30 years being here, that you would have a lot of faith here. But that's not necessarily true. That's not necessarily true. Too many times people that are going through a trial or a difficulty... I'm not really sure what to do. So they call somebody and say, what should I do? Well, you obviously don't know what to do. And you're asking somebody what you should do after hearing what God says you ought to do, and you still don't know. You don't have faith for whatever you're going through. That's not a compliment. It's not a rejection either. It's just a statement of the fact that you should be better than that. God's bigger than your problems. I want to see you delivered from it. I do. I really do. I like it when my phone does not ring. I do. Just like I like it when I, every mechanic is a stranger. I like that. Everything works. No need of repair. Nothing's in disrepair. Everybody's in good order. Everybody attends <clears throat> the meetings. I like that. There's a commitment and so forth. But that's what happens, I think, when you're taught how to believe God and to trust God and to be thankful to God. Are you Second Thessalonians 3 yet? How about verse 5? Can you find it? Paul's wondering about these Thessalonians, and he said, you know, I sent to find out about your baptismal certificates. If they were signed right, you know what he said? I sent to find out about your faith. This is the man who started the church, formed it, set it in order, put men there as leaders over the church to conduct its affairs while he's gone. And this is what Paul says about a congregation of people. It could apply anywhere. 
This, what I'm about to say, could apply anywhere. Paul said, I sent to find out about your faith. Leroy, go over down to Thessalonica. Go down there and meet with those people. Find out what they're believing, how they're believing, if they are believing. And then come back and tell me. He said, I sent to find out about your faith. Because if the devil has tempted you, successfully lured you away from what you've been taught, and you're no longer believing what you've been taught, but you're believing something else. You know what he said? He said, if the devil has tempted you, think of this. All my labor was in vain. How would a man come to the end of his life realizing that you wasted all those years and all that time with that church at Thessalonica because they still don't believe. They still can't trust the Lord. Hmm. I'm not saying we don't need some help sometimes or we're going through some things that were bigger than we thought they were. I'm not saying that. Again, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm, I'm here to because I'm concerned. God's bigger than all of our problems. All the floods that ever come our way, He's bigger. And Paul said, I have got to know what you're believing. Because if the devil has successfully tempted you, think of it, all my labor was for nothing. Can you imagine? The church would protest that. Oh, no, no, we we learned a lot from you. You taught us a lot of things. But are you trusting God? What are you believing? What do you believe? Well, I don't know about that. He said all my labor would be in vain. Now, that's how big a deal faith is. And the power of faith, again, to overcome the world. James said, if you resist the devil, what happens? He will flee from you. He will flee from you. He will flee. Wouldn't you like that in your house and in your life? The one who's trying to ruin your life? Wouldn't you like to know that he's going to flee? Wouldn't you like to know that people are gathered together and beginning to bombard heaven on your behalf and the devil will not be able to stand because God will, on your behalf, come to your rescue? He'll flee. Because the only prayer that's going to work is the prayer of what? When you pray, believe what you're praying will come to pass and it shall come to pass. See, faith introduces the Word of God to a circumstance. You can quote the Bible, but if you don't believe it, all you did was quote the Bible. It sounded good. We like that. But faith, when it's really faith, it introduces the Word to a circumstance. Jesus said to the devil three times, it is written, didn't he? He told the devil, you're coming against me with these temptations. Let me tell you something. I'm going to give you the word. It is written. And there was nothing the devil could do. He didn't immediately flee. He stuck around. He stuck around for three temptations. But he left because every time Jesus said, it is written. It is written. It is written. And when you speak to your circumstances and you say, in the name of Jesus. And you quote a verse of scripture. It is written. That greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You cannot have your way in this house or with my wife, husband, or child, or our money, or our circumstances. In the name of Jesus, I command you to loose yourself from us and to flee from this home. And having done all, stand. That's what the Bible instructs us to do. The winds blow, trouble comes, you stand your ground. And the devil will flee from you. And thirdly, third provision this morning is the provision of praise. I can't think of anything the devil would hate more. Now, I don't do this. I thought, I just thought of it. I cannot imagine something the devil would hate, would irritate him more than for good music to be through your house all the time. You don't have to buy a Bose acoustical wave machine. You don't have to do that. 
And you certainly wouldn't put some of that old dog-eared Christian rap music on there. You wouldn't do that. But you would listen to the music that I listen to. <laughs> I like my music. It doesn't make me sweat and doesn't make me nervous when I listen to it. <laughs> I like those quiet things that are encouraging. I like the good words. I like music that just I can imagine as David played on his harp. No wonder that in 1 Samuel when that spirit from the Lord came upon Saul and he was troubled. David, little David, play on your harp. Boom, hallelujah, hallelujah, little David, play on your harp. Hallelujah. You ever hear that song? Well, never mind. <laughs> but good music is a testimony to God's praise and God's person. God inhabits praise. He inhabits praise. And Ephesians 2, the Bible said, He is in the midst of the church. And there's another sermon, but Jesus said in the midst of the church, He will sing. How will He sing? Unless He sings to us, me and you. Sing with our hearts, making melody in our hearts unto the Lord. Let God arise, Psalm 68 said, out of numbers something. He said, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Let God arise, let his enemies be... That's a good song. Amen. Just praise. Something that is soothing. When you listen to, for me, I can listen to certain songs, especially if I'm not thinking about something I'm about to do, but just driving down the road, I can hit the thing that says disc. I got one of them that says disc. You can hit the disc and the one in there is good. And the words begin having their effect. And your mind goes immediately from why is she wearing it or what color was that to the words of God. And you start singing along. I don't think the devil likes that. I don't think in a room where somebody is fighting a good fight of faith, the, the soft sound of praise is bad. There's a lot of Christian music today. I'll just say this and then I'll let you go and I'll close. There's a lot of Christian music today, though, that is worthless to me. Because it, it smacks of the spirit of this age, the beat, the mood, and the activity of this age. A poster that came in the mail the other day, I get these a lot about some Christian group that's going to come to sing. Every one of them look like they need a bath, a shave, and wash their hair, every one of them. Ragtag looking, raggy looking, wore out looking, with scowls on their face. Besides some old wore out building like this here. <laughs> Do you really, in your conscience, I don't care what, how old you are, if that's the only thing you hear of. Do you really think that represents God? Do you really Do you think that running around a stage with your hair spiked, painted green, gold, and yellow, and doing this right here, do you really believe that that's what you're going to get in heaven? You couldn't imagine an angel running through heaven doing that, could you? Don't you think that perhaps the music that pleases God is a music that's a testimony to who He is and what He is? And that affects your soul and quiet and soothing and peaceful sounding. I don't mean that this is the day. That's good too. But praise. The devil hates praise. And one of the standards I believe that God raises up is praise. Again, let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Now, I cannot speak for all of you. I can only speak for myself. But if you want to be set free in this life, and you will need to be set free. The Bible said when the storm, not if the storm, but when the storms come. You're going to have to fight your own fight. You're going to have to fight your own battle. We will help you. But we cannot help you beyond where you are most of the time. If you want to fight, 
then be determined to win this battle. Not just fight. Let's see how good we can do and how long we can stay with. No, let's win. Let's overcome. Let's make sure that we put the devil under our feet like Jesus said. And triumph daily in Christ. Amen. Amen. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we give you thanks this morning for your word and for your truth. We want to be free, all of us. We want to be free. We know we'll be tested and there'll be hardships, trials, and difficulties and suffering. We know that. We just want to be free and enjoy you and your presence. I speak from this pulpit this morning to those that are here, those who listen, those who are watching. I speak a blessing. May God bless you. May he bless your body. May he deliver you. May he cause you to triumph daily. May he renew your vigor and your energy. May he give you a determination that you've never had. A new lease on faith. A trust that has no power to stop it. May he give you that today. May you be blessed like that today. May your testimony come forth soon, how that God has delivered you. We may all respond with thanksgiving and praise. Father, I ask you to do that and to bless these that are here, those that watch and listen, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.